What's up, everybody? You're tuned in to the Chicano Podcast. I'm your host, Belon. Uh, today, we have a very special uh, guest uh, to the show. Obviously, uh, this is being brought to you by Chocast. This is being brought to you by Steve Garcia. This is being brought to you by Chicano. Um, you know, I have uh, Sabrina Van Tassel, um, the filmmaker, um, she's won already uh, some awards on a uh, very, very, very important uh, documentary uh, type of film called The State of Texas uh, versus Melissa. Um, I don't know if you guys have been following it, but it's all over um, the news. Um, it's on Hulu. Um, I believe it's on Amazon. Um, it's on YouTube. I mean, there's a plenty of, uh, you know, talks about um, uh, a mother of 14 children uh, that's going to be executed here in Texas on April uh, the 27th without our support, without your support, without, um, you know, I guess, you know, the Governor Abbott is the only person and also one other person on top of that, which is, I think, the district attorney of uh, Cameron County, where the uh, case was tried, I believe, is, you know, what we're hoping uh, to get overturned here in the next few weeks, because if it doesn't uh, get overturned or um, I forget the word that they use, uh, you know, when they let a, uh, a person uh, off of death row. Uh, but uh, th those are the only hopes, basically, uh, for this uh, lady that's been on um, trial. And uh, most people believe that she's uh, wrongfully convicted. She is a fellow Chicana. Um, I'm pretty sure she was born, uh, you know, in one of the border towns, either uh, Brownsville or Corpus or something like that. But she's definitely a Tejana. And um, I just want to go ahead and introduce um, this um, awesome filmmaker that we have today. What's up, Sabrina? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much uh, for being here and thank you so much for opening this can of worms because um, I, I, I don't believe um, a lot of people know about it. You know, I, I barely found out about it. Um, I think about a week or two ago, I think maybe 10 years ago when the case uh, was tried or when whenever it was tried back in 2006, seven or eight, I, I think I might have caught a glimpse of it on the news. And uh, the portrayal back then was very clear cut. You know, the state and the news and the media uh, tried to make it really, really, really appear that, um, you know, Melissa was guilty and not many people looked into her case, not people um, investigated the case, but you've done quite the opposite. And that's really the, the, the reason that um, I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, you've uncovered a lot of missing pieces um, to her story, um, can 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 you can you tell us, um, you know, kind of what, um, you know, what what was what 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 was your inspiration, or what was your motive, or what was your, uh, you know, what 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 made you attracted to this this uh, this particular case in general? Well, I um, I really came to this case by accident. Uh, so I, I'm an investigative reporter, I'm a filmmaker, and um, uh, I, I was assigned by a French channel to, do, um, to make a documentary about women on death row. 
and I was looking for some women to interview and um, the only place where you can really interview and film, filmed interviews uh, are, is Texas actually. Uh, most states don't allow you to, um, to you know, do film interviews on death row and Texas does. So I, um, you know, I mean, I, I asked a few of the, the female offenders Uh, on death row in Texas, uh, if they wanted to um, be a part of my film. And uh, two of them answered yes. And one of them was Melissa. Uh, at the very, very beginning, when I, um, you know, I, I, I was going to cover Melissa, uh, I was like, I, I didn't really know what I was going to talk about because her case, like you said previously, had really not made headlines in the media. I mean, it was really, I mean, something that, you know, barely anybody had talked about. Uh, she, and, and the story was very simple. It was a mother uh, who um, had a history of drug abuse, had too many children, lived in poverty, and basically had, you know, lashed out on her Uh, last daughter, you know, and basically uh, killed her. Uh, so I was like, great, you know, what am I going to talk about? You know, uh, it's not going to be, it wasn't, you know, it, it was a very, uh, if you will, um, just random case of child abuse. Uh, I know it, it might be shocking to say that, but, you know, I mean, there are so many other cases like hers. And I was just like, wow, you know, why is she on death row for that? I mean, you know, uh, most 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 cases of child abuse, you know, I mean, people don't end up on death row just because they are uh, usually injury to a child. So, you know, uh, they don't you know, you don't you don't get, you know, um, a death row case out of that most of the time. So anyway. Going back to that, uh, I uh, tried to reach out to her family. Uh, it was pretty hard because she was born in Harlingen, Texas. Uh, you know, like uh, one of those, you know, border towns down there. And um, everybody basically has the same last name. So it was really hard to find, you know, some members of her family. And um, out of her uh, 14 kids, most of them had been you know, kind of placed, you know, all over the state, you know, um, uh, and uh, in foster, you know, in foster care. So it was hard to find them. It was hard to find her sisters and it was hard to find her family. But um, I managed to find one member who basically introduced me to, you know, another. And, and, and right away when I got there the very first day, and I, mind you, I hadn't met Melissa then, you know, it was, you know, I, I started by going to Arlington and meeting her family first. And so immediately I went down there and immediately I was told that I was the very first reporter investigating the case and that basically kind of, you know, nobody had gone to see them in 13 years or something like that. And, um, and that the case wasn't investigated, that um, the DA was in prison, 
uh, that uh, the court-appointed attorney uh, had gone work for the DA. And so it was just like a lot of, I was told a lot of different things, including uh, the fact that, you know, it wasn't in fact an accident uh, that, you know, um, Mariah had fallen down a flight of stairs and that um, Melissa was really not a violent person. So I was, you know, given a lot of information that day, of course, you know, um, doing what I do, I mean, being a reporter, I mean, you know, I mean, I know that everybody's in, you know, everybody's innocent in prison, right? So I was like, uh, yeah, right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll basically double check, you know, every information that, you know, uh, I'm being given here. And so, um, what I did going back to my hotel that night is really double check, you know, double checking everything that I was told. And I did realize that, yes, uh, the DA was in prison. That was, you know, really bizarre. Uh, that he had gotten 13 years for bribery, corruption, and so on. And, and yes, uh, Melissa's court appointed attorney was now working for the DA's office. And he had gone to work for the DA's office right after the trial. Um, so, you know, I was told all these things. And the next day I went to uh, visit Melissa Lucio um, in Gatesville, uh, in Mountain View, at the Mountain View unit in Gatesville, Texas. And, um, you know, right away, I mean, meeting her, she, I mean, I know it's, you know, I mean, people can could tell you this, but she really did not fit the profile of the person that, you know, uh, uh, people described in the media. I mean, you know, she really wasn't, I mean, I kept thinking, you know, there's got to be more to this story because she really doesn't look that like the type of person who could do something like this. Uh, that was just kind of my first instinct, you know. Um, and then I immediately, when I left death row that day, I, I started investigating her case because, you know, I felt that there was just a, like a lot of pieces missing and, um, especially, you know, um, the portrait that, you know, uh, I was given by her family was that she actually was, uh, someone who was not aggressive at all you know, who would actually never fight back, who uh, uh, would never discipline any of her children and, and would, you know, kind of give the other cheek, you know, if you, if you will. So I was just like, wow, what happened? You know, I, I really wanted to know more. And that's really how it started. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's crazy, you know. When I when I when I saw your uh, documentary recently, uh, I think it was just. Well, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, I just kind of walked into this thing uh, less than two weeks ago, and when I saw it, I mean, I I really um, felt compelled um, to you know. I mean, being a, a, a person that does uh, podcasts on you know Mijenta, right? You know, Chicanos in general, Tejanos. I'm from Texas. Uh, my family's from San Antonio. Uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, there's a there, there, there's a calling for me, uh, you know, especially when it comes like to circumstances like around our people. Cause I always, I always feel like we're underserved. I think most Chicanos, most people, when we grow up, we feel like there's a little bit of a, 
uh, a disconnect with society, especially like, you know, the government, would you say, or I mean, is it your feeling that there is a certain amount of corruption, like in the Texas uh, legal, um, uh, 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 you know, area? Uh, I would answer, uh, are you kidding me? Of course there are. <laughs> of course there's corruption. And I would tell you specifically in Cameron County. I mean, just just Google Cameron County and and you know Brownsville and you know Harlingen. I mean, just that entire area, and just type corruption and just see what you get. I mean, it's it's really crazy. And it was hard for me to 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 you know realize it. Uh, because, uh, you know, I mean, when I was down there, uh, I mean, people kept talking about, you know, how corrupt the place is, but until I really investigated it, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you have a DA, a district attorney, Armando Villalobos, in this case, who served 13 years. I mean, you know, 13 years for an elected official is... is it's crazy. I mean, it's just, it's not something that you, you know, come across very often. Uh, and he was really, I mean, um, uh, he was really sentenced to prison for some really bad things. And, and in essence, I mean, you know, he would, you know, bribe uh, judges and, and um, attorneys. And people knew that, you know, I mean, he would take money out of rich people and he would get elect elected out of the poor ones. And so while he was a DA, he put a lot of people uh, on death row. And they would all be Hispanics, so all Chicanos, and they would all be poor. Oh, oh, I mean, you know, he put a lot of, you know, poor Chicanos on death row. Actually, he put um, one of them, uh, Manuel Velez, uh, was sentenced to death uh, and was saved by the SELU. He still served, I think, about nine years on death row. But um, that same DA and same forensic so yes, uh, you know, the place is very corrupt. Uh, and uh, the fact that you have a court appointed attorney who basically decided to go work for the DA during Melissa's trial. I mean, it's pretty clear, you know, that he did that. And, you know, whose wife actually went to work for the judge you know, who uh, tried Melissa. So just the entire thing is just crazy. And the fact that he really kept, I mean, so much evidence out of this trial is also something that's out of the ordinary. So uh, uh, would Melissa be there if she uh, was a white, uh, you know, kind of wealthy, woman or even from middle class I mean no way she's where she's at because she just did not have a trial I mean she stood there with no defense really there was just no investigation in Melissa's case to start with and then uh just all the dice were 
you know, all the dices were against her. I mean, were stuck against her. I mean, she got she got uh, a defense attorney who did who basically I think um, hated her, you know, or I would say, you know, thought of her as I mean, you know, he he was <laughs> white and didn't understand didn't understand how you know you could have you know so many children and 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 so on and you know he thought of her and her children as animals i mean you know he barely asked any questions to her family uh and uh was really i mean if he wasn't if he let me put it this way there's just two possibilities in this one of them is he was you know in cahoots with the da which is my belief. Uh, the other one is really he was the worst attorney of all times, which he might have, you know, have been as, as well, you know. Uh, but really, I mean, she stood there with no defense um, to the point that even the experts that are mandatory uh, in a death row case, I mean, she was kept from those. So uh, the DA's office presented, you know, their experts, uh, you know, the forensic expert, and, you know, uh, the police officers and just, just everybody that testified, you know, against Melissa. And she was like alone in there. None of her kids were allowed to testify. Um, none of, you know, I mean, her family, aside from one sister, were allowed to testify no neighbors no nobody that really knew her um not even her partner at the time was allowed to testify uh and she did not have a medical expert on her side and the mitigation specialist who could have you know explained to the jury uh the life of abuse that actually uh melissa led and that pushed her to give a a confession i mean a you know a false confession an extorted confession uh, i mean the jury was not even allowed to to hear that so um to answer your question yes i mean this was a botched trial and uh texas is about to execute someone who did not have uh, a complete defense and so um there is an amendment, you know, uh, it's called the Sixth Amendment and everybody's entitled to a fair trial. And the only thing I've been saying is that, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, if Melissa is Chicana and if she's poor, she should still have had a fair trial. And she didn't. Bottom line. And, you know, anyone who's seen my film I mean, I, I don't believe that anybody who sees my film can can basically say that there's no reasonable doubt in her case. I mean, reasonable doubt is all over this case. And still, we have somebody, you know, not even just on death row, but who, with an execution date in 50 days, who is about to be executed. And, you know, there's my film, but not only my film, I mean, you know, John Oliver, last week tonight with John Oliver, picked up the, you know, the case a week ago. Uh, there are multiple articles about her. 
the Innocence Project is, you know, took on her case. I mean, you know, the press is adamantly on her side. And, and, and people are, a lot of people are outraged that, you know, uh, someone could be on the verge of being executed with like so little proof because really there is no DNA that links, you know, Melissa to, to this, to, to, to this case. Uh, and there are no witnesses. So she has, she's convicted of abusing her child for I think four months with no not one single witness ever witnessing her being abusive not only to that child but to any of her children so I mean you're not going to tell me that if she was white and, and, and had had a decent attorney she, she would not be out already she would do you think that if um she was white, the Supreme Court would hear her case? Not necessarily, even though the Supreme Court is is extremely conservative right now, just because, because of AEDPA, uh, you know, the Supreme Court uh, cannot really hear uh, state cases anymore. Uh, AEDPA was a law that passed during the Clinton eras and basically gave full power to the state courts and 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 kind of provided the, the US Supreme Court to you know uh, look out you know and, and, and check if uh, the procedures have gone well or not so right now uh, the US Supreme Court has less than one percent of, of, of chances to actually hear a case and so um, the U.S. Supreme Court is really not, you know, um, cannot really do much right now, uh, and, and that's really unfortunate. And 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 that law, I mean, EDPA is really in question uh, for all death row cases, not only Melissa's. I mean, just every single one of them. Um, what happened though in Melissa's case at a state level is that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which you know is is Texas, you know, Texas, New Orleans, and Louisiana. And it's really the most conservative court of appeals in the country, you know, so it's, 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 it's quite something. Uh, in 2019, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, was uh, unanimously reversed Melissa's conviction uh, based on the fact that she did not have a fair trial. So uh, that happened and that was a first, right? Because you have these 0.01% of chances of that ever happening. And they basically said she did not have a fair trial. She didn't have her experts on her side. They were banned from testifying. Uh, her confession was obviously coerced, uh, you know, and uh, there was just really, there's a, you know, we need to reverse that case immediately. And they did. So that was incredible. And, and of course, the state of Texas immediately appealed it, appealed the decision, and it went back in front of 17 judges back to the Fifth Circuit. And that was extremely divided. Seven uh, were for her immediate release. Seven were against it. And three of them 
said that they were banned from you know because of EPA, that they could not you know EPA was basically uh, just keeping them from deciding anything on Melissa's case. So she lost ten to seven, but it was extremely divided. So Texas is about to execute a woman who whose own courts. You know, we're debating about about you know the case. That's what's extraordinary in her case. I mean, you know? we have we have um, this district attorney, this prosecutor. You know, all this um, corruption and you know bribery, extortion, racketeering, conspiracy. I think even the RICO Act. Uh, you know, was talked about when they were um, highlighting the story behind, um, you know, this DA. Um, that doesn't fall into like anything that could even be amounted to like the procedures of the state of Texas. That could, I mean, because all the all the cases that they tried during the time period of like what that. Um, that 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 um that accusation that got um i think the district attorney uh his prison sentence of whatever 13 14 years or whatever it was i mean it was for a time frame that overlapped melissa's case so i mean if if she was within that time frame i mean that doesn't constitute any questionable um uh, uh, theories for the Supreme Court to say, hey, there could have been some procedures that were not followed. There could have been, uh, you know, something wrong with the way that this uh, case was tried, especially since they were convicted of all those things that, you know, mess or botch a case, like you said. I mean, there's. You would know, think so, right? <laughs> you would think so. You would think that it would. You would think that actually, you know, people would be like, hold on, let's reinvest, reinvestigate, you know, every single case that this guy had in charge, you know, was in charge of, you know, but, Nothing you know, it, it didn't. Yeah. It really didn't. And, oh. and and it's just crazy. And, and you know, I mean, it, really everything that could possibly go wrong in a case went wrong in Melissa's case. I mean, everything. And even the fact that, so, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court did not refuse to hear Melissa's case. I think that was in October. And less than 90 days, less than 90 days after uh, the Supreme Court said they wouldn't hear the case, all of a sudden she got an execution date. I mean, you have to realize that usually, you know, there's been people waiting for years for an execution date, but she gets one less than 90 days. Like she's the most dangerous danger. I mean, you know, I mean, danger to society. I mean, like, let's just execute her. What's, what's the rush? What was the rush? Right. Uh, and so usually, you know, the DA, the, that's the new DA in her case, you know, gets, um, you know, picks up, you know, an execution date and it needs to be signed by the judge. And usually it takes weeks. It was signed by the judge the next day. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
I was just like, okay, I mean, wow. I mean, we've never seen something go so fast, okay? And in the history of death row, I mean, like less than 90 days, he picks up a date. The next day, the judges, you know, signs it and boom, you know, it, it goes there. And, and, and people are like, wow, you know, why so fast? Well, I have an explanation why so fast. So DA, the district attorney, Louis Sines in Cameron County, was the actual judge who set the bond for Melissa back in 2007. So he knew very well about this case because he used to be a judge and he was the one who set the bond. Okay. He, he works hand in hand with Peter Gilman, who was Melissa's own court-appointed attorney. The judge who signed, you know, the execution date, she works with Peter Gilman's wife, who worked with Peter Gilman at the time on Melissa's case. So the conflict of interest here is huge. I mean, it's like, you know, and they're basically saying there's a term called the Chinese wall where, oh, yeah, you know, we're putting a Chinese wall between, you know, the people who worked on the case and the ones who are, you know, uh, you know, working on it today. And they're not going to give, you know, any information. I mean, how 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 is that possible when every single one of these people I just talked about worked on the case then? What's what's Peter Gilman's title now? Oh, he's uh, an assistant district attorney. He's and a prosecutor. The, the the primary district attorney is whom? Louis Sands. And the judge is the current judge is who? Is Judge Garcia, and she works with Peter Gilman's wife, who worked on Melissa's trial. Her so right, I mean, none of these people are going to discuss the case. I mean, are you kidding me? Right. Especially in Cameron County when it's just, you know, I mean, I, I filmed there for, for, for a month. I mean, you know, it's, it's a tiny place. I mean, there's got to be four or five people working at the DA's office. I mean, I mean everybody I, knows everybody there. Nobody. Are you are you saying that the, the, the jurors um, did they never even saw the the confession that that, that that pretty much got her locked up. Oh, they saw it, but they just saw the last like uh, half half hour, maybe. Uh, they didn't see the seven hours. But you know, let's talk about a confession. You know, the amount of people who confess who are actually innocent. You'd be surprised. The Innocence Project has saved so many people who actually confessed. And it's very easy for poor people to confess, right? I mean, if you have someone like Melissa, Melissa Lucio, I mean, I think the only thing that ever gotten her, you know, in pro you know, in problems with the law was, you know, she got a DUI or something. Yeah, that's it. So she be you can say that, you know, she never had any, you know, she she had no experience, you know, with with the law or, you know, she was never convicted for anything else you know, anything. So uh, her daughter dies. So she's under, you know, she's in a state of shock, first of all. Um, and then, you know, she gets interrogated and they're basically telling her, uh, do you want to, do you want your lawyer? I mean, 
This is someone who had no money whatsoever. I mean, she would literally give birth on her kitchen floor, right? I mean, she did not even have Medicare. Uh, so, you know, you're going to ask her if she wants a lawyer there and she doesn't even know what you're talking about. And, you know, she's thinking, no, you know, I mean, I don't need a lawyer. I'm innocent. I'm going to talk. You know, I'm going to, you know. And all of a sudden she is going to be faced with five different police officers who are going to harass her until 3.30 in the morning. And of course, you're going to basically at some point, you know, tell them what, what they want to hear. And she basically said, well, I guess I'm responsible. You know, she basically gave up. She never admitted and, you know, she never said she murdered her daughter. She said, I'm responsible for the bruising. I'm responsible. That's what she said. She, and, and, and so that's the only thing that really, uh, you know, put her where she's at right now. I mean, because when when they open up the, the 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 video, I think that I even saw years ago. I, I for some reason want to say that I remember the the spanking, you know. And I think that that was the picture that they kind of created around her saying, "Yeah, I spanked her." And and then they, they kind of just picked and chose chose what they wanted. And um, I mean, that is in essence, all she admitted, right, was to to like they, they, they got it in her head after that seven hours that, you know, you would spank your child like this. And that's all they were talking about, right? Was a spanking? Yeah, 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 yeah. Show me how we, you know, how you did it, because I would do it. I would do it harder. You know, we already know what happened. You know, you're going to feel so much better after this. I mean, it's. It's some of the tricks that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of police officers are using. And and we know now that, you know, it pushes, you know, innocent people to basically admit in things they never did. And so to those, to those who are hearing, to, to those who are hearing your podcast, I want to say something. Do not give away your Miranda rights. If you're ever in this situation, ask for a lawyer right away you don't say anything because you know unfortunately the amount of people who gave away their miranda rights and you know said you know no you know i can do this without a lawyer and whatever you know and who end up wrongfully convicted there are many of them and you know they're innocent people getting out of prison every month in america after serving years in prison and I don't need to tell you that. I mean, you just check it for yourself. So yes, I mean that happens all the time. I mean, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. About a couple of weeks ago, I get a phone call in the middle of the night, right? Because I live in Europe. Uh, a man called Christopher Oshoa calls me, and he's like. Uh, I served 13 years in, in Texas uh, for a crime I didn't commit. Uh, I heard about Melissa Lucio. I was basically saved by the Innocence Project and I want to help you. And he basically told me that, you know, he admitted to something he didn't do. Worse than this, right? Worse than this. He not only did not, did, did you know, admitted to something he didn't do while being interrogated, but he actually pointed fingers 
at somebody else who, did, who had nothing to do with the crime. So they both served like over 10 years until the actual uh, murder, I think it was a, I think it was a murder or rape case. I mean, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't really know the details of that case, but, you know, came forward and said, actually, you know, I'm the one who did it. And these two people that you've been having that were locked up for like 13 years, you know, have nothing to do with it. So that guy who called me did not even admit to something he didn't do. He pointed fingers at somebody else who had nothing to do with it. That happens. It happens. I, I think I've heard of a couple of cases like that where they um, did, got the wrong people and then the right people um, were either uh, confessed to it or they found out they're like oh no we got the wrong people with somebody else but the the people that were innocent are still locked up and, and and i don't think that the state knows how to even handle that because they don't want to i don't know like i guess admit they're wrong or i i, I don't know it, it just messed up you know once um, once once you have a guilty person once once you have uh somebody who is responsible for the crime that's not their problem anymore. They have it. You know, I mean, their agenda is not to find out who really who did it. Actually, even sometimes when you have all of a sudden you have DNA, you know, and um, there's some people who have been, you know, locked up for 30 years and they say, please, you know, now, you know, I mean, uh, test the DNA again or anything like that. I and mean, that's up to the DA's office. That's up to the attorney general to say, yes, you know, we're going to, you know, test the DNA. If they don't want to, you stay locked up and that's it. So, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's... You would almost assume that, I mean, that should be a responsibility of the courts, um, especially when I think you um, said something about a statistic that um, when they try their cases especially here in the state of Texas. What was that statistic that you said? It's something like oh, yeah. 98 or 90. Well, what is it that up there? It's 95%. So, so you're offered a deal, right? So Melissa Lucio was offered by the DA's office. She was offered 30 years. So first of all, if they think she's so dangerous to society, why did they only offer her 30 years, right? Okay. So think about that for a second. So she's offered a deal and she decides to take it to court because she says, I'm innocent. Right. The statistics are that if you actually take your case to court, you will lose in 95% of the time. The state will win every, I mean, almost every single time. They don't take a case unless they are convinced they're going to win it. So the moment that, you know, Melissa decided not to take the plea deal, she was already done because it was a child, you know, it was, you know, there's a death of a child, which, you know, people are very sensitive, you know, of. And so basically, you know, she was already guilty before she even, you know, set a foot in that court of law. But this time, you know, it's no longer 30 years. Now she's facing death. 
So she went from being offered 30 years to death. Think about that. Think and, about and that. And she's, she's, she's locked up like with like by, in, in like solitary confinement. Oh yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, she is considered to be the most dangerous woman in America, right? Mother so she's 14. basically, yeah, she's separated from the rest of the, the carceral population. She's not allowed to be with like a regular inmate because, you know, she could basically kill, you know, she's a danger to other inmates. Didn't, so you, say that you, didn't you say that you scout, you like looked at, um, I don't know, what was it, like 4,000 documents from the C, the Child Protective Services that they, oh, they had on her? Oh, and you never found not one incident of this type of behavior? There's nothing. There's nothing. She's invest. She's, she was investigated for over 10 years by CPS. Why? Because there are a lot of families like hers, I'm sorry to say, you know, who are poor or there's some kind of, you know, drug problem. And, you know, basically there's so many kids. And so she was, you know, um, investigated all these years because she was, she was negligent because, you know, there were too many children in the home and they lived in poverty. Okay. That's not good. That's not great. You know, um, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of families like, like hers in the United States. Okay. That's just a fact. And there are a lot of Latino families like hers. Okay. Who have too many children and they live in poverty. Okay. So for over 10 years, they're investigating her case, you know, and she's being, you know, they come all the time and there's not once where they say that she was ever violent. I actually, her other children, you know, stated that she was never violent with any of them. Nor with Mariah. At the time of the trial, I mean, none of the kids, you could have, you know, had them, you know, had them come, you know, to the court and testified for her. And they would have told you, you know, that they never saw her being violent towards any of the kids, nor Mariah. She was never seen being violent with Mariah. She was never seen being violent with Mariah. That's it. I mean, doesn't doesn't it seem sometimes like, I mean, that's just the American theme when it comes to like, you know, people like this that are non-white or poor, like you said, especially like even when you look at the Native Americans in Canada, um, you know, I mean, it, it is it is the state's job to basically lose children in the system. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that you told me specifically that there was a guy that told her when they were trying to get the kids back. Um, that said, no, let them get lost in the system. Who, who, right? Didn't you tell me that? Yes, absolutely. I told you that. Uh, Peter Gilman. Peter Gilman. Melissa's court-appointed attorney. When Melissa's sisters went to see him at the end of the trial, they said, Mr. Gilman, how can we get the children? How can we get the children back? And he said to them, let them get lost in the system. They're a lost cause. Forget about them. I think that speaks volumes. I mean, of, of you know, what he thought of Melissa or her children. And uh, you will, something you need to, to realize is that 
In order to be on death row, you have to be poor. <laughs> If you have a little bit of money, okay, and you are, uh, you know, and, and you're not part of a minority, you're never going to be on death row. That's never going to happen. You might, you know, serve life in prison, but you won't get, you won't get death row. Death row, I mean, you are on death row because you're poor, because you're a person of color or mentally disabled, you know, one of those three. Otherwise, you're not on death row. Was, was it ever established in the, in, in the, in the trial, uh, the facts of the case, like she fell, the, the baby fell down the stairs? Was that ever established as a fact? Oh, no, no. Peter Gilman did not even bring it up. So Peter Gilman knew a few things, right? He knew that uh, two of her youngest son had been interviewed uh, and in a filmed interview that I show in my film where they state that, you know, Mariah fell down the flight of stairs. That was never brought up in trial. Another thing, you know, that, you know, one of the daughters, one of the teenage daughters, uh, you know, uh, was actually the one being abusive towards Mariah. She said to um, a, a private investigator who worked for the defense at the time of the trial, she said, you know, I'm responsible for Mariah falling down those stairs. Uh, that private investigator went went back to the to the you know court appointed attorney and and told her that and he basically said don't repeat it to anybody. The private investigators uh, went to interview the children, uh -huh. and she was working for um, the court appointed attorney for Peter Gilman at the time of the trial. And one of the daughters, who was 14 at the time, said, uh, "I'm responsible for Mariah falling down those those stairs." She said it. She said it. And she told that lady. What, what was that lady's name? Norma Villanueva. She was uh, the mitigation specialist and the court and the private investigator for the defense. And she went back and she uh, told the defense teams. She said, "This, you know, hold on. Let's stop everything here. Here's a teenager who just told me this." And Peter Gilman's reaction was, no, we're not going to talk about this. Forget about it. Never bring it up. The mother has to pay for, you know, basically. Why should I ruin, you know, a teenager's life, you know? And he never brought it up. He never did. Didn't, didn't the little boy um, on film after, you know, they they interrogated the mom or whatever for however many hours, seven, eight hours, I don't know. But didn't they, like, basically, like, do the same thing with the little boy and the little boy? I mean, he, how old was he? Like, he said that he she was, fell down the stairs. He was uh, eight. Uh, I think he was 10. Okay. 10. There were two boys. One was nine and one was 10. And basically said, you know, I saw her fall down a flight of stairs. I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. And that now, was now, not brought up and, at trial. So you so, see, I mean, there's just really, why would you not bring the kids? Why would you not bring that at trial? What would you not, you know, uh, I mean, it's just really doesn't did, make any did they sense. Ever have, did they ever have any of the children? Because I mean, she had 14. Did they have any of the children say that, oh yeah, my mom would spank us, beat us or whatever? Never. 
And those stairs, I saw them. I mean, you went out and saw them like in live person. Those stairs were a beast, right? I mean, they oh, were like they're crazy stairs. Like crazy like, stairs. The fact that CPS would allow, you know, a family with small children to actually live in a place like this is is outrageous. And, I mean, uh, when, when I saw them on TV, I mean, let me let me let me set this context correctly that I mean, weren't they like almost 25 or 30 feet long? But I mean the, the degree, the angle was like over 90 degrees, right? I mean, it was so steep that it almost looked like you could basically just pitch a sack of potatoes from 25 or 30 feet and it would only move like let's just say four feet in front of you to get all the way to the bottom, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they were steep. I mean, maybe not four feet, but I mean, the rise over run or whatever. I mean, I I, I I do roofs and I know pitches, you know, when they get steep, the roof gets very dangerous because, you know, you're you're just so close to the edge when you're high, you know. And I, when I saw those stairs, I was like, if a little baby, you know, even like just basically makes one misstep, she's going down and she's going down fast and she's going down hard and that is ultimately what killed her right was like a a, a blunt head trauma yeah she, exactly she died out of yeah yeah it was blunt head trauma she um died of blunt head trauma and you know mm. even if it was just a couple of steps okay i mean first of all we don't know exactly how many steps she fell um but even if it was just a couple of steps i mean you can have a mild fall and have blunt head trauma especially for a two-year-old uh, actually uh you know bob saget you know bumped his head you know um in, in the bathroom and died in his sleep right you heard about that i mean you can die of blunt head trauma you know falling in your shower it's not something unheard of you know i mean so blunt head trauma is real, and especially for children under the age of five, you could, you could fall from a swing and, you know, basically the parents think you're okay. And then the child, you know, passes, you know, a couple of hours later. I mean, that happens, okay? So um, the fact that she died from blunt head trauma is, 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 is real. Uh, the fact that, you know, Melissa did not see the signs is also real she uh started having a fever and then she started vomiting and then she you know she was not well but again um yes she should have taken her to the hospital but again she's you know this was a type of family where you know you wouldn't take the children to the hospital you know she didn't see the signs she thought you know she just had you know well okay she threw up and she didn't put it she didn't really say oh well, she threw up and she did not connect the fact that she was throwing up with the fall or the fever with the fall. You see what I mean? So, um, again, I mean, that was 2007. We know way more now about blonde head trauma than we did then. Okay. We know, uh, way, we know now that, you know, if somebody, you know, um, bump their head and you know all of a sudden they're getting sleepy or um they start having a fever or they throw up that might you know there's a correlation there uh you know melissa didn't have the education to know this and especially in 2007 she didn't you know there was very little that was 
that was said about it at the time. So, um, yes, I mean, if she's guilty of anything, I mean, she's guilty of not taking her child to the hospital. And, you know, she should have basically served, you know, for injury to a child by omission and, you know, in a couple of years and, and be out. And we wouldn't be talking about her. But she was accused of brutally and severely, you know, abusing her daughter. So now well, what happened also is that, you know, when uh, the, the child died, she was covered in bruises. Right. So they're like, okay, somebody abused that child. Uh, we know uh, there's a condition uh, called DIC, which is coagulopathy. When you have blunt head trauma, a third of people who have blunt head trauma can have DIC, which is basically the blood's not clotting anymore. You're dying, you know, like 24, 48 hours later, and you start developing bruises all over your body. Uh, that also is something that we know today. And that's something actually that's that's very well known. I mean, it's not something that you know doesn't happen. A lot of people, you know, with DIC are basically people dying and they start bruising all over. Like, like anemia. Exactly. So, you know, the Innocence Project, I mean, they have the best medical experts and, you know, I mean, I, there's two different forensic experts in the film. The forensic expert at the time of the trial who basically said, no, that was child abuse. Uh, okay. And then I have another forensic expert who basically expertised, you know, uh, Mariah's case for the defense, for the appellate attorney. And he said, no, it was an accident. And the bruising is because of DIC. So who's telling the truth? Why would it be the, foren the forensic expert for the state and not the other forensic expert? You know what I mean? Maybe the truth in the, in, is in the middle. What's the truth here? The fact of the matter is that, you know, the forensic expert for the DA's office at the time is being sued by a family right now, was involved in other death row cases where, you know, it, she was lying. So, you know, I mean, there's just so many things in this case, and I can go on and on and on. Reasonable doubt is all over this case. Question marks are all over this case. This case was not investigated well, should be investi investigated again, okay? And you should certainly not execute someone when, where there are so many flaws and so many things that are not clear in the case. I mean, if you are going to execute, and I'm a firm opponent of the death penalty, okay? Because for all those specific reasons, because I know that a lot of death penalty cases, you know, target the poor and people of color and people who are mentally disabled. So I cannot be for capital punishment, knowing all these things. But if you are going to execute someone, you want to make sure, you want to be absolutely sure you execute the right, you know, right. the right person. Right. You're not making a mistake. But I mean, it's already the, the system, in my opinion, the big picture is that's the conflict of interest in itself is because these prisons 
are for profit. These prisons are to, uh, you know, get jobs. You know, these prisons are making careers for dirty judges and DAs and prosecutors. I mean, hell, I think two judges were arrested with this DA, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Um, I don't know the history of Cameron County, uh, but that you said is in uh, Harlingen. Cameron County. Yeah, where, yeah, where, where Brownsville. Yeah, Brownsville okay. area, Harlingen, all that is Cameron County. You know, it's it, okay. those are border towns. And yeah. yes, so, absolutely, absolutely. So just yeah. like, just like the. Uh, perception of like, you know, hey, we got to protect the border and we got to, you know, put all these people in cages. It's just human incarceration on a different level. And I think that there are certain uh, big, big, big implications to draw from this. And it's like you said, lock up the undesirables, put them in cages because we can make money on the subhuman people by having a system that automatically assumes, that automatically locks up, that automatically takes away Miranda rights or acts like they don't see them or we don't want to hear the case for whatever reason. And that, I think on your, on your part as an investigative reporter, I think that you really painted a picture that was compelling to not just anybody that sees it but to the world because i mean if i'm not mistaken your film is traveling the world right now right oh yeah it's all over the place it was um uh sold in canada and france and australia uh all over uh south america uh it's 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 traveling the world and it's for me i mean melissa is the portrait of everything that's gone wrong. She's someone whose life doesn't matter in a way. And, you know, um, the fact that she's a woman, that she's a mom, that, you know, uh, she did not, you know, basically uh, protect her daughter like she should have, you know, that she's kind of like a flawed characters. I mean, all that is like, it, it goes against her. Because there's even some people that, you know, will tell me, okay, well, she might not be guilty of child abuse, but, you know, I mean, she's guilty of not protecting her daughter. So, you know, let's kill her anyway. Wow. Seriously? I mean, this is justice to you? I mean, you know, how, do, we, how? do we ask the same thing for men? Do Does somebody actually, you know, wonders where, you know, were the men in her story? Where were they, you know? Would we, uh, you know, expect the same thing, you know, I mean, would she get the same kind of treatment if she was a man? Let's talk about this, you know? I mean, you know, we're, we're in a society where basically, you know, the mother is responsible. Doesn't matter. You're a mom, right? So you're responsible. Your child dies, that's it. That's your responsibility. Uh, there was another da daughter abusing her, that's your responsibility. Well. She's been locked up for 15 years. Most of her kids, she never saw them again. Don't you think she's been punished enough? I mean, seriously, this is ridiculous. And so, How many years yes. Has she been locked up? How many years? 15 years. So, 15 years taken, of death row. I mean, that's so, not like death row. That, 
That's solitary, solitary confinement. confinement. Wow. And so if she would have, let's just say, said, okay, I don't got, like, let's just say she was smart enough um, to know that, man, Texas is, is fucked up. Uh, you know, I'm not going to win. Um, and I already kind of know their history. So I need to just take the, you know, by the, you know, take the case to, or take the, the, the plea bargain. And then if they had given her the 30 years, like, like they, they put it on the table, they said, okay, we'll give you 30 years. Cause that's what they wanted. Right. And, and if she would have said, agreed to it, I mean, isn't it, isn't it, it isn't it pretty much uh, probable that she would have already been out like by now? Absolutely. That's what's so disgusting, right? Because at the time, her court-appointed attorney, he could have told her that. He could have said, listen, no way. I mean, I saw some of the uh, pre-trial transcripts and even the judge at the time was telling her, said, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to take it to trial? I mean, he knew it was going to be a disaster. You could tell. Golly, that he was almost acting as her attorney. Yeah. And actually, he was very concerned about the fact that the attorney wasn't talking to her and she wasn't talking to him. At some mm. point, you know, in the pretrial, she's like, I, he was just like, oh, I'm very concerned about the fact that I don't see you guys talking to each other. You know? Uh, he could see it, you know, I mean, he tried to warn her, she would have been out, you know, a decent person, a decent lawyer would have told her, listen, you know what, you have no chance of winning this, just take the plea. And a lot of people who are innocent in the US take the plea, because they know that if they are going to trial, they're going, that's it. They're going to get life without parole or something like that. So they just take the plea. They'll take 10 years. They'll take 15 years because their lawyers will be like, look, you're never going to win this. I mean, and unfortunately, that's, really that's that the that justice that? system in the U.S. That's the justice yeah. system. The system is broken. Actually, I'll say even worse. I'll say the system was designed to put, to put people like Melissa, to put the poor, to put you know people of color, you know, behind bars. People we don't want to see, people we don't want to have, be a part of society, people we don't want to vote. You know, we, we don't want them to vote anymore. I mean, you know, I mean, this, I'll go, I'll go and say this because I really, truly believe this. And it's, it's almost like they, they want to teach us a lesson or they want to teach people like that a lesson. Like, you know, when you go and kill a, let's just say you kill a, whole bunch of uh, I, I don't know a community right a, a, a tribe or whatever you take the leader's head and you put it on a stake and you put it where everybody can see it because look that can happen to you too if you want to you know mess with us and be the leader against us or whatever and what I'm what I'm really painting is is it like that that system is designed to say you either take this case or you go up against us and when you go up against us and you lose we're going to make sure that you pay for Absolutely. ever having rose up against the United States. Absolutely. You're so right about this. And, you know, Alfredo Padilla, who was the, the, the lead prosecutor against Melissa Lucio, he says in the film at some point, 
Whose fault is it if it's not hers? She had the audacity to basically, you know, not take the 30 years. She was arrogant enough to think that she could actually, you know, win Wait. this. Yeah. Even if it's the truth. Yeah. So whose fault well, is it? Yeah. Because I said good. to her, I'm like, I'm like, I said to him, I said, I said, how can actually you go from 30 years to death? I mean, you were ready to give her 30 years. She would be out already. And all of a sudden now she's basically, you know, has shackles and, and she's not allowed to share her meal with, you know, another inmate because she's on death row and she, you know, is not, you know, allowed human contact because she's basically a danger to other inmates. I mean, let me tell you something. It's ridiculous. And actually, a lot of people who work in Mountain View, you know, uh, a lot of wardens, uh, even people at the library, okay, who encountered Melissa, even the deacon, even, you know, I mean, some of the priests, the, 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 the bishops, you know. How's that going? I mean, they, 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 they met Melissa and they were just like this, you know, she's probably the nicest person they ever had on death row. I mean, she is a non-violent person. She has always, her entire life, been a non-violent person. How's how's that part of it going with the, the Catholic Church or whatever? Oh, they, they're, the coalition of, of bishops in Texas are all backing her up. Uh, Bishop Flores from Brownsville and the bishop from Austin. And they're all like, you know, they all, you know, wrote statements asking you know to stop the execution i mean melissa is a person of great faith she's a changed person she i mean just just commute her stop the execution this is ridiculous what is it what but is, is it that going to be is that going to be enough i mean you know yeah. cameron county is supposed to be like 95 percent roman catholic right I think Greg Greg Habit Greg Abbott is is a Roman Catholic as well. I mean, all these people are you know, Texas is supposed to be a pro life state. I mean, how are they pro life? So they're pro life, but they execute. I mean, she is not only Roman Catholic, not only you know devout, but like she basically. Uh, uh, you know, influenced other death row inmates to, to become religious. She, she, I mean, I, you know, I mean, she's no saint. She did live a life, you know, she had a drug problem. She did a, you know, she, she, she was negligent. She should have taken her kid to the hospital. Yes, of course. All these things. Yes. Okay. We're not trying to portray her as a saint here. But clearly, she did not have a fair trial. And what I'm saying again and again and again is everybody is entitled to have a fair trial. And you're not going to tell me, that? you're not going to tell me that the DA, the fact that DA, you know, was highly corrupted and served 13 years and that her court appointed attorney weren't, went to work for the DA and basically, you know, left her there with no defense whatsoever. You're not going to tell me that that had nothing to do with it. The did I mean did 
did you have a lot of time? Like, I mean, you've obviously covered this case for quite a number of years now. I mean, but but you've you've had a lot of time to really grow a relationship with Melissa, right? Like, build some kind of like human rapport with her. I mean, absolutely. What, I mean, has she? Has, I mean, has she ever broke down and, and, and gotten emotional or, or, or cried with, with with you or to you or anything like that? Of course, you know, I mean, I, I met her, I interviewed her five times. I went to see her four hours about two weeks, three weeks ago. I mean, you know, she's terrified. She is because terrified. I think, I think that's she's part of She's thankful the... because before I came into this picture, even though Every single person who's worked on her case, you know, feels bad because there's just, you know, such a botched trial. It's just crazy uh, that anybody could have a trial like this in the United States of America, real. I mean, this is just scary, scary to start with. But, yeah. you know, she was really thankful um, that I believed her, you know? And I, I it, again, it's not like I just believed her or, you know, I, st I mean, I investigated this case. Yeah, you did your checks and balances. And I read over like 10,000 pages of, of court record documents, CPS files. I mean, I did that for years. Right. And that's why I'm so, I'm so passionate about it and continue to fight for her. I mean, you know, my film has been on Hulu for a year now. It's been released all over the world. I mean, you know, we won so many awards on this film and, you know, I could just like basically, you know, forget about it. But, you know, you have someone who's about to die here. And I feel that, you know, anything I can do to help her, you know, yes, I have established, you know, a relationship with her and, and yes, and she wants, actually, she wants me there if she's going to be executed. She wow. wants me in the death chamber with her. And, you know, do I want to go? I mean, does anybody want to see that? No. But I, I want to be there for her because I felt that, you know, there's just really wasn't anybody on her side for all these years. Is, is most of her, um, like, I mean, her, her, her family, what, what are they, what are they doing besides that, um, I think, what is it, free Melissa, or you have a petition? Yeah, freemelissalucio.org. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talk to the media, they, they, they get out there, you know, they, they, they do all these things, and they do everything that they can do. I mean, you know, her sister uh, and her mom are going to see her, you know, tomorrow. Uh, her son, John, ha you know, visits her every weekend, uh, and he basically drives, you know, 15 hours back and forth. Uh, you know, to, to, to be able to see her. I mean, they do everything that they can. And we could even send her like emails or how, how do the, how do people um, do that? I think I heard you one time talking about that stuff. Can you do that? No, oh, yeah, yeah. You can, there's an app called JPay where you can basically, you know, send emails or you can write her letters. I mean, you have to hurry now because, you know, she might be moved in a couple of weeks, like, in a, you know, two weeks or so. Uh, to actually uh, to Huntsville where she is going to be executed. So, you know, this is really, really bad. This is no joke, you know? So I, I, I please, I mean, go on freemelissalucio.org, um, uh, you know, follow 
follow me, follow the film, sign the petitions. There's, you know, Innocence Project has a petition out. Uh, Death Penalty Action, you know, has a petition out. You know, you can find it on freemelissalusio.org. Watch the film if you have Hulu or Amazon, uh, you know, and, and, and find out more about this case. And, and you know, talk about it. Tweet it, you know, go on Facebook. I mean, this is, we don't want Melissa Lucio to be the next Carlos de Luna, okay, who was wrong, I mean, wrongly executed, wrongfully executed, you know, um, in 1989. Of course, you know, uh, if you check Carlos de Luna, I mean, no, you know, the state has never, you know, acknowledged the fact that they wrongfully executed him, but they did. But they did. And uh, there is a film out there called The Phantom on Netflix. And, uh, you know, I mean, you just watch it for yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, you know, this could be, this could be you. Okay. There's a lot of people down, you know, that, that, that could happen. That, that could happen too. And, and I, I mean, I really would wish the Chicano community to come together on this case. You know, uh, Governor Abbott needs the Latino vote. He does. And she's one of yours. You know, she's, I mean, she needs, she needs support. She does. I agree. I agree. What other, um, what, what, what other are you, you said you had mentioned something about um, some things coming up. Is there anything coming up, uh, you know, between now in April the 27th that y'all are going to be doing specifically like on, um, well, there's going to be, there's going to be the March, uh, the March for justice, the LULAC March for justice, you know, created by, uh, Cesar Chavez in San Antonio on March 27th. So that's, you know, happening. And, um, I know they've invited, uh, you know, Melissa's family to March. I might be there as well. Um, so, you know, we're trying to, 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 you know, I mean, this story is getting national. It was on last week tonight with John Oliver. Uh, you know, it's uh, more and more, you know, media outlets are picking up on her story. Uh, but we really need, you know, some kind of movement around her to save her before it's too late. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's what I was asking because um, you said San Antonio, March the 27th, LULAC is putting together uh, like a boots on the ground kind of initiative uh, for not only, um, you know, but they're, they're, they're going to be doing a lot of things, right? Not just exactly. this. Okay. Um, and I really appreciate all the, the, the work, the effort uh, that you put into, um, you know, bringing this to light, um, you know, just as a message for any of my listeners, uh, you know, that are Chicano, not Chicano. I think sometimes, um, it's really good for people, not only in our community, but people outside of our community uh, to uh, pay attention to stories like this. Because sometimes I don't feel that, you know, we get enough uh, publicity when it comes to real issues like this. So, you know, if there are other uh, people, you know, that can make a difference. Uh, you know, whether they be white, whether they be black, I mean, what, whatever platform, I mean, I think that um, Sabrina is, is, is a perfect example of, you know, saying, hey, 
not only the white uh, narrative, uh, you know, wants to be heard. Obviously, this has went worldwide. Uh, so this should be a testament to not only Chicanos, but, uh, you know, um, you know, our white brothers and our sisters. You know, I mean, if y'all see something that's, you know, messed up in one of the communities that you live in, uh, you know, with our people, you know, I mean, just, just, you know, be a part of it. I mean, this lady is about to die. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, share it, uh, you know, on the platform that I have, uh, you know, with, uh, in Facebook. Um, and, you know, I mean, if you can share the story, whether it be on Twitter or whatever, Instagram, all the social medias, uh, that you can, I think that petition is a big deal. Uh, you know, you said it was freemelissa.org, right? Yeah, freemelissalucio.org. Okay, and Lucio is spelled L-U-C-I-O. Um, check out the, the, the documentary. Um, you know, I think there's tons of stuff on uh, YouTube. Uh, but, I mean, outside of that, like I said, I, I really appreciate you, um, you know, doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, I don't think that, you know, there was ever a, a, a selfish motive, uh, you know, on your behalf. So I think in the very beginning, uh, you know, what I followed is just you shared a certain in, in inquisitive mind and then you just went into like i guess empathy mode uh when you started figuring out that the case was you know lopsided on uh, you know what happened and that's really how i feel as well i mean with the evidence i mean hey if something showed that you know she looked smelled felt and sounded like a murderer then i don't think that i would be taking this position but because everything that you brought to light um, everything that we've talked about today, everything that I've seen, uh, you know, on social media or on Hulu or on, you know, even John Oliver, uh, you know, talking about, I think it was like the bomber, uh, you know, and how uh, the cases uh, change, uh, you know, to where people don't want to or, or the courts don't want to listen to certain things because of certain convictions, uh, you know, going the wrong way. And those guys that are obviously guilty mess it up you know, for the people that aren't guilty, you know, obviously there's a lot of room uh, to, you know, look at this, you know, um, you know, in light of, you know, not, 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 um, you know, but yeah, um, I, like I said, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think um, you did a excellent job with everything you did. And I guess, um, you know, I look forward to anything else that you put out because I mean, obviously, um, I'm going to be looking for, uh, you know, other, well, what's your next project? Oh, well, I have a few, but you know, right now I'm so into, into this story, uh, okay. until I, April 27th, it's just, you know, I'm not going to, uh, to really do anything else. Is there, is there anything that, um, you know, I mean, cause right. Those are the only people that can, can overturn it. Right. Is the, the DA. In, in, in the governor, right? Is that is that exactly. the truth? Exactly, and the board of pardons again. But it's up the to board. the to, to the to the listeners also, you know. Make some noise, you know. Make some noise. Okay. You, you want to make sure that you know someone who didn't have a fair trial is not going to be executed. No, uh, we can't tolerate that anymore. So you know, just please make some noise. Sign the petitions. Please. Again, you know, there's one on Innocence Project, another one on freemelissalucio.org. You know, you can follow everything that we're doing on there and, you know, uh, join the march if you can and, you know, uh, and contact us, you know. That's, 
really um, all I can say. What's the name of that? You said uh, Lewis Signs or Louis Signs? Yeah, that's the DA. I will send you, I will send you, you know, uh, I encourage people to also call him and call the governor and, you know, um, you know, maybe I could send you, you know, all the information you can put in on your website. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. So, yeah, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, uh, thanks for tuning in to the Chicano podcast. I guess um, I'll catch you guys um, on the next episode, but yeah. Uh, do whatever you can, uh, you know, follow me and, um, you know, we'll just uh, try to keep you updated with everything that's going on. Uh, peace. Mm-hmm.